joining Real Talk with Lisa Patrick. Welcome to the show, Mr. Ori Spado. It is such an honor and a pleasure to have you here today. Oh my God, I have goosebumps. I've been waiting. I didn't sleep last night. I'm so excited to have you here. My pleasure, Lisa. And I'm very excited to be on your show. And you're really what a professional job you do back there in the studio. Thank uh, you. For the people that you have. God bless you. Great Thank you. Show. And you're up in Canada. What part of Canada? Are you yeah, in? I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Okay. Well, yeah, my publishing company is out of Regina. Oh, Coastal really? West, Coastal West Publishing. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a story part. in itself. I'm going to have to find out how you got that them as a publisher. But listen, Ori, the, 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 you know, the, the, why we're here today is to solve a problem. And, you know, there's nobody better to talk about solving a problem specifically around negotiation and sales than the accidental gangster, the Hollywood fixer himself, Mr. Ori Spado. But I want to take a step back for the viewers that are on today, just to get that, you know, so that they get a feel of, of who Ori really is. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit about your childhood, first of all. So you started out a young kid in New York. I mean, I've read the book, phenomenal book for anybody out there who hasn't uh, read the book or hasn't bought the book. You need to get this book. So Ori, you started out in New York, you were in, in the military, and from there you became this trailblazer in after uh, aftermarket auto, automobile products. Then you met somebody, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, and eventually got into this world of crime and the, you know the Colombia crime mobs. And all these different mobs, mobsters uh, in New York and L.A. ended up in Hollywood, got known as a Hollywood fixer, got you know targeted by the FBI. You end up in jail. And now today you are on a mission to help people, especially the young, not get involved in the business. Sure. So walk us through a little bit about how negotiation played a key role in all of that whole, like, I mean, it's a, a massive life cycle and we're not going to get too much into it, but you, you know, you need to buy the book to hear all the stories, but tell us how does negotiation play a role in all of your life experiences? Well, you know, the first rule about negotiating, no matter what you're negotiating, it has to come out that it's a win-win situation for both sides. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it's too one-sided, it's not going to work out. It has to be a win-win situation. And that's always my goal uh, when I do a negotiation. Okay. So what about, you know, there's a philosophy that I, that I go by when I'm thinking about, you know, I'm all about stacking value in part of the sales cycle. And so one of one of those philosophies is is not a win-win. It's a it's a trivecta. It's a win for me. It's a win for you because you're sitting across the table, Ori. And most importantly, it's a win for the customer or the client. Can you talk a little bit into, you know, how does value play a role in the negotiation cycle? Well, value is always a part of the negotiation. You know, what's the value to you? 
what's the value to me and what's going to be the value to the others that, you know, uh, that we're discussing here. Yep. Yep. So how, how do you, you know, how does curiosity and questioning play a role in how do you find out what that value is for that other particular person? Well, anytime I go into negotiation, you got to, you know, find out who you're going to go in a negotiation. You got to see what their likes are, the dislikes. You got to know what targets you're going you're going to hit. I have a rule, okay. My rule is when I go in to negotiate something or to handle a problem, if I cannot accomplish it within 15 minutes, then I failed, and I don't wow. fail, okay? Yeah. Because I study who I'm going to negotiate with, I study them, I become their friend. You got to become friends within the first few seconds that you're talking or you meet somebody. Okay. So how do, how do you build that rapport? Like I, I call it like the inner circle of trust. Somebody becomes a stranger and then you go through this maze, you know, you become familiar, you create meaningful contributions with each other and then you're trustworthy. So how, how do you do that? How do you navigate through that in such a short amount of time? Well, the first thing that let's say that I walk in your office, the first yeah. thing I want to do, I'm going to say it's a pleasure meeting you, to shake your hand. And I'm going to give you a compliment on uh, maybe something you're wearing, some object, some artwork, or something that I see that's in your office or your home, okay? Something that you cherish, I can tell, all right? Yep. There's something special in there. Everybody has something in a room that they cherish or is very special to them. And I compliment that there. And then you begin, you know, people like to be complimented. Yeah. You always have to think of what people, you know, I begin my day try, by trying to make somebody else's day a happy, positive day. It could, and you hear me say it often, all right, it could be the cashier in the grocery store. Yep, yep. Okay, these people, I mean, they cash out, they got thousands of people in the course of a day. But I walk in and I go, hey, good morning, Lisa, how are you today? How's the family doing? Everything good? Yeah. You know Creating that rapport, right? I, I, you know how much I brightened that young girl's name? Uh, I brightened her day. Yeah. Number one, I used her name. Yeah. People love when somebody remembers their name. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I asked about the family and how is she doing? Okay. All positive stuff. She doesn't get that. She might get a thousand people. Maybe one person might say something to her. Yeah. And that one person made her day. And if everybody did that there sort of thing, just imagine how much of a happier world this would be. 100%. Totally agree with you. I think, and I think that's, you know, showing that you're invested in somebody, right? Uh, and I mean, that's how you started to create rapport with some of the the most key players early in your career and, and and in your life so talk a little bit about that take us back in time ori uh you know to a time where understanding you know making person the center of attention was vitally successful not only for your negotiation but for you to to live the life that you lived the lifestyle that you lived 
Well, let me tell you something. First of all, I began at a very young age of hustling, okay? I had a paper route when I was 10, 11 years old, all right? I won contests of getting more subscribers to the newspaper than other paper boys did. How did I do this? I did this by knocking on doors. Now, a 10 or 11-year-old boy knocking on doors, asking people to subscribe <coughs> to the, <coughs> the newspaper, okay? A lot of people say no, okay? But the people who say yes were the ones that counted. And yeah. at the end of the day, those are the ones who made me win the contest. So I was able to take denial at a very young age. And people have to realize no matter what business you're in, you're going to have your successes, but you're going to have your failures. Yep. And it's those failures that you have to take and not dwell on them and cry over them, but learn from them. Yep. And you must understand, no matter what you're selling or negotiating, it's 98% understanding human beings, 2% product knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. I think, you know, rapport and understanding humans, like, like at the core, not just a, you know, very high level, but really truly understanding how to communicate to them, how to practice what I call the platinum rule, treat others how they'd like to be treated is so important because that's, you know, you, I don't necessarily want to be treated the way that you want to be treated, Ori. I want to be treated the way that I want to be treated. And it's up to us within this communication cycle to do that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And so um, how does that work with your family? How does that negotiation strategy and, you know, process work with with your family and getting them to do especially when the, when the kids were younger right you've got three kids when they were younger how did that come into play well first thing is you got to remember i'm a divorced father yeah okay but one thing okay my wife and i never had one word bad word to say about each other and we never said anything to the children okay we might now they lived with my wife. I, I was very fortunate and blessed, all right, with uh, the mother of my children. Yeah. Very good woman to this day. She's an exceptionally great lady, great grandmother. So I got nothing bad to say about her. So I was blessed that I had the right lady to bear my children. Okay, but as a divorced father living 3,500 miles away, I tried to attend special gatherings and I also I became a pain in the ass to them. They will tell you. Okay, there they are. Even, even to this day, they will tell you because I call them each and every day and they call me. Yep. But not a day will go by that I will not tell them how much I love them and how proud of them I am. And I do that with my grandchildren now. Okay. Very important. I could say that I'm very blessed. 
that had three wonderful children in their own rights. They're all very successful and they're all happy. So, you know. Tell, tell me, Ori, how do you, you know, everybody, I'm always curious when I ask this, how, how do you define success? Well, success, it's not always how much money you have. Yeah. It's how happy you are. Yeah. Okay. You got to be happy with what you do. And, you know, I, I met there a lot of young people. And the first thing that I do after I convince them not to go into a life of crime. I had a lady, uh, a young girl yesterday, uh, 30 something years old out of New Jersey. All right. She, she wanted to talk to me and she happened to have a degree in biology. Yeah. But she made a lot of money selling drugs. And she wanted to know how her mind, how I could change, I changed my mindset from being a gangster to become what I am. How do yep. you change your mindset? And, you know, when people have these kind of problems and they reach out to me, I talk to them. And I talked to commissioner not to do it. Now, she happens to be also because she has a degree. She's working in an ICU. So she's able to make and earn money, okay, to sustain herself, pay her rent. Yep and eat and so forth all right but i targeted on something that she loves doing and i said that's what you got to do yeah you love doing it start building it up study more about it and it's going to take a slow process it's a step-by-step -step process yeah i said but eventually you will build up enough clients and customers to build yourself a residual income. So now that you're doing something in your lifetime that you love doing, you have to love what you're doing. Yeah. And I think, I think that's part that's absolutely, you know, there, there's a philosophy out there um, that, you know, success is only defined by the money that we make. Um, and I don't necessarily believe that. I think there's two levels of success. I think there's a financial success and there's an emotional success. And the, and you can't have one without the other because you can have all the money in the world. But if you don't have love in your life and and fun in your life, what it, what good is all that money? Why did you negotiate your way to that and didn't negotiate your way into a, a happy life as well? Right. And so what what would be the one piece of advice you'd give a young person out there right now who's thinking about maybe a sales career i mean you pioneered and trailblazed the auto market industry the aftermarket industry what would be the one piece of advice you'd give somebody who was looking at sales in no matter whatever industry it is you know uh i just had two individuals uh who read my book Two young men, and now they're in the insurance business. Yeah. And they reached out to me and asked my advice about it. I spoke to them. Okay. First of all, I never had a job that, a salary job. Yeah. I would not take a salary job. I've always worked on straight commissions. Because when you work on commissions, you're in charge of your income. Yeah. And you can make as much as you want. 
I advise them to find, once again, I always go back, they got to find something they enjoy doing. Got to remember, I was in the insurance business. I love selling insurance. Hours never bothered me. I never counted how many hours a day I work. Let me just put this off. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's a great thing about a live show. Doesn't matter. Yeah, well, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it, it, this is a, uh, uh, you see a recorder line. All right. See uh, those crap calls. Uh, <coughs> I get them on my home phone. Uh, but anyways, where was I? Well, uh, you were talking okay. about yeah the insurance business. All right. I was making $500 a week in 1967 when an average income for a family four was $150. I was the leading agent in my office at the Prudential Insurance Company. I was a member of the million dollar round table. Yep. But my days began first I went to the office in the morning and then when I left the office I immediately started going in the department stores and different places, talking to sales courts all day long and selling them insurance, making appointments. And then in the evening, I, you know, I'd be, I spent phone time making appointments in the evening. So I'd be working till 10, 11 o'clock at night. Yep. The hours never bothered me. When I built up the Ori agency and I became a pioneer in the automotive after sale business. Now I had to travel from town to town. I got my car on a Monday morning and I didn't come back till Friday. So I wasn't there to have dinner with my family. I wasn't there for a lot of things. Yeah. You have to learn, you're going to have to sacrifice things that the average person wants to do continuously. And most people are not willing to make those sacrifices. Yeah, that's true. And and so, that, that's the difference between success and failure. Well, so tell me now, I 100% agree with you. I think that, you know, a lot of people buy a lot of programs, a lot of, you know, do it yourself help. And most of them, number one, don't finish it. And number two, they don't have it within them. They want it but they don't want to do the hard work, the really hard work because nothing is for free in life and you've got to do the hard work to have it. So tell me, I'm going to ask you something. Desire or hunger? Which one plays a better role, Ori? Oh boy. You got to have both. Okay. okay. But let me tell you about hunger. I want to tell you about a young man named Jimmy. I had the Asian Yellow Pages of San Francisco, the first time it was ever printed. It was my company. I, it's in my book how I bought it, how I got a pimp, and, and, and the girls that were working, and they put up the money. But this young man, Jimmy, came in one day. I always had an end of paper for sales help. Yeah. Because when you're looking for sales help, once you take your ad out of the newspaper, you're out of business. 
And yeah. can I shut my uh, patio door? Yep, you betcha. Boy, it must be while he's shutting his patio door. I'm here in Edmonton and it, it, it's been cold and snowy. I wish I had a patio door. <laughs> we're, we're talking right now with the Hollywood fixer, the accidental gangster, Mr. Ori Spado. Now, let me tell you about this young man, Jimmy. Yep. When he, he answered an ad, he came in. This young man used to guess your age and weight at circuses. That's oh, wow. what he did. Yeah. But I looked at this young man and I could see the hunger in his eyes. And when I was telling him how much money that he can make, <clears throat> of course he doubted me. But I took this young man. Now I had an office in the back where I had people on a telephone making appointments for salespeople. Yep. And I says, I'll take you out right now and I'll prove it to you. You always have to lead. A good leader leads from the front. Napoleon always brought his troops in the battle on his white horse. Okay? A good leader leads from the front. I went, I took a couple of the leads that they had and the appointments that they made. I said, let's go out. We got in the car. We drove to different businesses. I'm with the two of them. I showed them both. I showed them. Yeah. How to sell that business because of the benefit it was doing to those businesses. And then I taught him when I sold, sold you, okay, I went to each business on the other side of you. And I walk in, hi, I was just next door with Lisa and give another presentation. Okay. Well, he took the job. And then I mean, he was making his own appointments. He became the top salesman. But not only did he become the top salesman, he had a hunger and a desire that was amazing. And he wanted to learn as much as he can. Yeah. I mean, after work every day, he was at my house having dinner with me and my wife. Do, do you think, Ori, that, that that desire and hunger that that young man had could be learned? Or do you think it's an innate, you're born with it? Uh, like myself, I'm going to say it's something that he learned as he was young. you got to understand, guessing your weight and age at a circus is not something that's easy. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. All right? got to be there. And most people, you know, showing up being there is so important. Yeah. Most people don't show up. Yeah. I 100% right? agree. Now I have a rule. I'm always 15 minutes early for an appointment. Yeah. If I know, you know, and I live in Los Angeles, I got an appointment someplace on the other side of town. I know traffic is going to be bad. I've been to LA, Ori. I can contest that. It's crazy. Like traffic yeah. in LA is nuts. It's not. So you got to prepare for it. There's yeah. no excuse. Now, going back to when I was in the automotive sales after business, the biggest account in the state of New York was Sandell's Dodge out of Syracuse, New York. Sandell sold over 4,000 Dodges a year. That's a lot of cars. That's a lot okay. of cars. Yeah. And he made a point. I had one competitor 
guy named Justin Lippa out of Rochester, New York. Finally, I get an appointment with Sandell, 8 a.m. in the morning. But he also made an appointment with Justin Lippa at 8 a.m. I had to drive an hour. It was winter time. I had to prepare if it's going to snow or not. I was there at his office at 7.30. Yeah. Now, in his office, when you walked up the stairs of the dealership, on the left was Sandell's office. On the right was his controller's office, Bob Wayne. See, I remember the names. Yep. In the middle is the waiting room. I'm sitting there in the middle in the waiting room, and I can see Mr. Dell in his office. His door is open. I can see him sitting at his desk waiting till 8 o'clock. And while I'm sitting there, I hear the phone rings. Bob Wayne tells Mr. Dell, he says, Mr. Lip is on the phone. Mr. Dell picks it up. Justin Lippa wanted to reschedule the appointment because he had to take his children to school that day. And I'm going to tell you, I heard Mr. Dell say it. He says, Mr. Lippa, there's only one reason to miss an appointment. And that is death. Your own. <laughs> I love it. Mr. Mr. Spado has the account. And I'm going to tell you something. I did not have to give a presentation. Walked in his office. He signed the papers. He and I eventually became very close friends. Yeah. I mean, this guy was successful. He was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Okay. But once I could go into any other dealership, and say Sam Dell's with me. Yeah. Where do I where do I sign? Because all the other car dealers want to do whatever Mr. Dell was doing. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, and that was the shoe in, right? Like that, that was the shoe in. And in those days, I was doing four and a half million dollars a year. Wow. This is the early seventies. Wow. That's that like I've got goosebumps because that is in the 70s a lot of money. Yeah. So now you figure in today's world that's 17, 18 million dollars a year. Yep. Yeah. It's 10 times the amount for sure. Yeah. So or walk me through then. Um I mean, you've I mean, there's just so many stories rolling through my mind that I could ask you. So tell me a time when trust and loyalty played a role and does it always play a role i have a belief system loyalty is the key to absolutely everything but tell me a time when trust and loyalty played a role and when it didn't play a role trust respect and loyalty I'm 77 years old, and I'm talking to you today yeah. because I believe in those words. Yeah. Okay? Because in addition to my legitimate businesses and my legitimate life, I was a gangster in La Costa Nostra with the Colombo crime family and the Los Angeles crime family. 
Okay. Yep. I'm here to be able to talk to you because I believe in others. And no matter what you do, you gotta have trust, loyalty, and respect. And you know what I tell people? Learn to respect yourself. Because if you do not respect yourself, you cannot respect others. Yeah. Can you look in the mirror and like that person that you're looking at? Can you do that? If you can do that, then you could go and respect other people. And you earn their respect. How, how, what's, you know, again, you know, talking to anybody, young or old, What's the one piece of advice that you'd give? Like, I mean, you spent, was it 60 months in jail, Ori? Yes, yes. Yeah. And during that time, I mean, trust and loyalty clearly played a role in even being alive through that. So what's the one piece of advice that you can give somebody on how to show somebody that they are loyal to you? Well, the first thing you got to remember, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Yeah. And he wants you to do twice as much listening as talking. When people are talking a lot and all, you know, people are talking about themselves, they don't respect themselves. There's clubhouse rooms. <laughs> people only talk about themselves. Yeah. Okay. Uh, You know, it, it, trust, loyalty, and respect is the three elements, no matter who you are, what walk of life, your family, you got to have it within your family. I trust my children. I respect my children. I'm loyal to my children. Yeah. My children trust me, respect me, and are loyal to me. How does, how does a, a you know, People make mistakes because we are human, right? We're only human. So what, where, where's the line for you, Ori? Where's the gray line between a mistake and a grave injustice to your loyalty? Okay. The first thing, take responsibility. Yeah. We all make mistakes, like you said, Lisa. Yeah. You know, and if I make a mistake, on something with you, I'm going to apologize to you. Okay, I'm going to yeah. accept responsibility. You have heard me in other in clubhouse rooms and in interviews. Yeah. Okay. I accept full responsibility for everything that Orange Pato has done in his lifetime. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I yeah. did it. I don't blame nobody else. Were there other people that were probably cause of it? Maybe, but it was my fault. I accept that responsibility. Do I have any regrets? I don't even regret going to prison. Okay. <laughs> I don't well, you probably learned a lot there. More well, than you probably want to talk about. Because a regret is a negativity. So why dwell on it? Yeah. Forget about it. It's history. Yeah. Accept it. Go on. You got to be able to go on with your life every day and be positive, be happy, help other people. Let's make this world a better place. Yeah. If you read my book in the epilogue, 
I ask for everybody to reach out and we all hold hands together. It will take all of us together to make this world a better place. I agree. Not one of us can do it. It takes yeah. us all. It's funny. I, uh, I did read this. I read your book and, uh, you know, I was telling you before the interview, so I do have a law enforcement background and it's an, a lot of years ago now. And I had a private investigation firm at, at one point in my career. But as I was reading this book, I was, it was over the Christmas holidays. So I was sitting with my, with my parents uh, in their home and I said, Oh my God, I need my, in my office here, you'll see the back video but then on this side in front of me is this massive whiteboard the whole wall is a one one big whiteboard and i said i feel like i need to go back to my my days uh of law enforcement and pi and there must be oh my god a hundred names in this book at least a hundred names in this book and all the stories i mean and i'm sure you haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg of some of the things that had happened through your career but i said i almost needed to put everybody's name down and you know how you see in the fbi shows and draw a circle and put ori's picture smack in the middle and try to make all the the connections my good lord and to this day i'm you're not a young man you're a seasoned life experienced man and i can't believe you still know all these names and these dates and these times of things that happen and i think that's a testament to truly who you are as a human and and how loyal you've been to those people in your life that you still talk about those stories they they make a profound impact on your life but you moved me to tears in this book, Ori, and I'll tell you why. When I read this, when I read your letter, and I'm just going to open up the book, and I'm just going to tell folks where that is in this book. Uh, I had it bookmarked, but now I don't. Uh, where is it here? Just a moment. Here they are, special letters. The very first letter was to Rosemary. And we're not going to get into it on the show. You need to read the book to find out who Rosemary is. But what you had, and I'm not going to talk about it here, um, but it was so profoundly emotionally impactful on, on your letter to her and some of the things that had happened and some of the things that you don't describe in this book. But you are an incredible human being, Ori, and I just want to help you in whatever way that I can with your new mission. And let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now today uh, and what some of the experiences that you've learned about how you're trying to help people stay out of the life. And what does that look like for you? Uh, it's very promising. Uh, I am helping people. Uh, I met a, a, a gentleman in a clubhouse room the other day about prison reform. Happened to be here in Los Angeles for a meeting Thursday. Um, and he wants to take me out to these youth senators, uh, youth centers uh, are in, in the bad areas and, you know, talk to young men and the gangs and so forth. And so I'm going to be doing that there. Uh, I have another young man that's promoting me at colleges and I'm going to be doing speaking engagements at uh, different colleges here in Southern California uh, very soon. Uh, so it's it's a daily thing with me. 
Yeah. Uh, I never know when somebody's going to DM me, needs help. Okay. And I make myself available for them. Okay. Uh, I'm one of those individuals. I, you know, I heard somebody in a call. Oh, I'm too busy. I don't answer my DMs. I don't do that. Get, give me a break. Why are you even on here? Okay? Exactly. People write me that. I write them. If I could find the time, they certainly can. Yeah. Okay. I do hundreds of emails a day, hundreds of DMs, and I still find time to do what I enjoy doing, and that's helping young people, men and women, become better. Yep. In addition, people keep asking me about training. People have been asking me, all right, and uh, I'm going to begin probably next month, February, sales training programs, how to become successful in sales what it takes what you need to do how to negotiate how to pick up the telephone how to communicate how to dress good for you how to dress you know i think there's i think there's a lost art in etiquette today right my parents taught me now i i turned 50 this year in december uh so Pardon me? December what? Very close to your birthday, Ori, the 14th. My God, three days apart. Yeah. So I turned related birthday. Thank you. And and likewise, my friend. I uh, one of the things that I've really noticed, and I try to have twin daughters, and what I try to instill in them is some of the old-fashioned values that I think are getting lost over time. Like uh, you know, one of the one of the most important etiquette things that I was ever taught as a young girl by my mom and dad was that when you're on a bus or you're in line or you're at somewhere where you have to stand and there's an opportunity to sit and you're sitting and somebody older than you is standing, good Lord, stand up and offer them your seat. It's such a simple gesture, but it is such a profound gesture. And I, you know, you go, we travel around not so much anymore as we used to like here in Canada, we're locked down quite a bit, but you know, I'm on a bus and I'm sitting on the bus or like an, an L, the LRT here in Edmonton, call it. And it's full. It's packed full of people. I'm traveling to downtown Edmonton and there's an elderly man standing there with a cane holding on to the, the middle of the, the LRT. And there's three young kids sitting there and I'm, and I'm calling them kids, you know, 12 to, you know, 14 years old. And they're sitting there looking at him and they don't get up and offer him a seat. Now, here's this gentleman trying to, you know, hold, you know, the cart is going along and he's shaking along and he's trying to hold his balance. And I'm looking at these young kids and I just wanted to go up behind them like my teacher used to do and smack him on the back of the head and say, get the up and offer your seat. I think it's a lost art. So I think what you're doing is so valuable. And if I can help you in any way, Please do reach out. Thank you. You know, you, you just discussed and mentioned something. And who do I blame? I don't blame those kids. I blame no, it's the parents. Kids. I blame their parents. Yes, 100%. I, I, think it sh- I think there should be, I think you should have a, a show and a course on how to be a parent and teach your kids etiquette. It's like a lost art. It is. It's 
It should be a natural instinct. Should not have yeah. to think about that there. Yeah. Like a man dating a woman. You open the car door. You're walking a woman. You're walking down the street. The woman's always on the inside, not on the uh, not not on the street side. And it's, why is that, Ori? Tell, huh? tell our listeners why that is. I know the answer to that. But. It was to protect the woman. If you know, you men are supposed to protect women. Yeah. But you know, it seems like it's reversing nowadays. <laughs> and you know, there's no communication. I go into a restaurant. I see a a, a guy and a gal out on a date. And what are they doing? They're at their phone. Yeah. They're not looking at each other. They're you not see that talking. lots with families. They're too. on their phone. These phones have become your enemies. Yeah. That's what they become. They're, they're, they're your enemies. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I'm, you know, we're getting to our 45 minutes, and I mean, you and I could talk for hours, uh, but I'm going to ask you something, because and and I and I somewhat know the answer to this, but I don't know the answer in its entirety. So if you are a woman or you are a lady, what's the difference between the two? It's a big difference. Okay, there's a big difference. A woman is the gender that you are. You're female. All right. But to become a lady is the same thing as a man. A man or is he a gentleman? Yeah. Okay. Lady and gentleman. Ladies and gentlemen. They say that for a reason. Okay. They don't say men and women. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Because you're held. You should be held in a higher esteem of the way you dress, the way you communicate, the way you act, the way you talk to people, and everything that you do. Okay. Is there a difference, Ori, for you over the years, like when you negotiate with a woman, with a lady, versus in negotiating with a man? Is it a different tactic or is it the same? It's the same thing. Okay. You know, a man has to learn to respect the woman. I have a, I have a respect for the woman, you know, and one thing that I found out in business, I much rather do business with a woman than a man, because when you go into a meeting with a woman, you get right to the business. You go in with a man, you got to hear the stories about the gal they met last night, their golf game, the football game. I don't care about that. <laughs> All right. Let's do the business. You want to discuss that? Go out and drink. All right. <laughs> but not on, my, not on my time. So, Ori, I, I'm going to ask a question that I'm confident that you get asked absolutely all the time. But I'm going to ask it anyways. Margarine or butter? <laughs> butter. <laughs> Fruit Loops or Shreddies? Shreddies. Shred wheat, you mean, right? Yep. Yeah. Vodka or whiskey? Whiskey. California or New York? California. Last question. What's the one piece of advice 
that you would give your daughter today that you haven't given yet? I can't think of anything. And that, my friends, is why you are who you are, Ori, because you share wisdom all the time and you weren't supposed to have a piece of advice. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, we're at the top of the hour. Any last final remarks before we're, we're finished the show out? Um, if anybody wants an autographed copy of my book, okay, the only place you could buy that there is at my website. The accidentalgangster.com. It's on the bottom of the screen. Uh, for you folks up there in Canada, you could go to coastalwest.ca. That's my publishing company. You could purchase okay. it directly from them. And of course, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Chapters Bookstore up there. Uh, has them in the bookstores in, uh, in Canada. Uh, Fantastic. So are you, are you, Ori, are you allowed to travel out of the U.S.? Yes. You are. Okay. That's good to know. I'm too. not sure. Uh, I'm, our, the publisher's uh, lawyer is going to work on it about me going into Canada. I think uh, they'll give me permission uh, okay. to be able to go into Canada. But other places, I have no problem. I do have a passport. So, okay. yeah. Good to know. And that's good to know if anybody's looking to book you for speaking as well. And that's why I asked the question. And one final question. Um, when's your movie coming out? Oh, hopefully by the end of the year, it will be out. George Gell is working on it now as, we, as we're as we talking. Uh, for those of you who don't know George Gell, is George Gell did Bad Boys. Uh, he did the, the movie with the Narrow and Groden. I don't know what a name keeps putting. Uh, very funny money. Middleman. Uh, he's done several movies with uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, it looks like we more than likely will have Robert De Niro and John Travolta and uh, Ray Winston out of London. Uh, three people. They will be playing the supporting uh, actors, which are uh, prime parts. And we're looking for Chris, I mean, Sam Rockwell to play me. Oh, and, my God. That will be phenomenal. Oh, my God. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And we uh, we made the FBI agent a female, which is a big lead role. And so there are several females uh, that we're discussing for that part. And just so people know that the FBI agent was not a was in, in the real life story of Ori was not a female but right yeah. you got to remember something sometimes the the books and the movies are a little bit different okay I always love to read a book and then then first and then watch the movie and every single time the book is way better than the movie yeah always is but all right my friend well I, it was a pleasure and an absolute honor to have you on the show that problem solved i think we solved the problem today about sales and how to communicate more effectively and negotiate what you want thank you so much for having me lisa uh, thanks sorry i gotta say an extremely professional interview i wish thank you like this god bless you everybody god bless you. have a great day love you bye for now all right